today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It's amazing how much corruption was already in the church, even as Peter is writing here. The corruption that moved into the sanctuary of the body of believers. False teachers were already causing shipwreck in the hearts and the lives of the faith of some believers. Not because they didn't know the truth, but because they had allowed either the cares and the concerns of the world to come and flood over what they knew to be true, or they just kept listening to that slick presentation of the deceivers. Peter simply reminding them, again, remain established in the truth. That word established, it has the thought of being strengthened. Satan, our enemy, quietly tries to slip into the fellowship of believers to steal, kill, and destroy. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that from the first century church onward, Satan has infiltrated the church like a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing, bringing with him false doctrine and discord. For this reason, we have to be on the alert for the devil and his schemes, lest our faith become shipwrecked. The way to guard ourselves from Satan's attacks is to daily fellowship with Jesus and be filled with his power. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, How Firm a Foundation, from the book of 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter, as he writes to us, he understood, number one, that his days were numbered. And so he's writing to the church here, and he understands that already in the first century church, there was a multitude of problems, not the least of which were those that were coming in and saying, you can't trust the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. You can't trust the words of these apostles. You can't trust the teachings of the church. Already that was coming in. They were trying to draw the believers away from their firm foundation of faith. And so here he is, he's writing to the church, not in order to give them some new knowledge, but really to reestablish them in the truth. Because they did know. They had heard. He had written to them in, in the past. They had also, by that time, had probably been privy to the letters of the Apostle Paul that had been scattered throughout the churches. They had heard the message and the testimony of believers for years at this point already. And so Peter is here writing to them to re-encourage them in the truth and the faithfulness of God's word. He understood that he wasn't writing to new believers. He was writing to men and women who were grounded in the faith, men and women who should have been mature in their faith. And yet he also knew that no matter how many years 
we've been in Christ, our hearts continue to be stir, need to be continually stirred with that reminder of the truth that's ours, it's found in the word. Because the voice of the world on the outside continues to hear this over and over and over. How many of you saw the debate between Bill Nye and Kim Ham a couple of weeks ago? Anybody in here? A few of you did. Um, number one, I, I wasn't real pleased with a whole lot of it. I think Ken Ham presented the gospel a whole lot, but I believe that there was a lot of things that probably could have been said that weren't said, but I wasn't on the podium at that day. Uh, I wasn't there doing that, so I, I can't uh, 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 shorten him or blame him in any way possible. I did. I believe that he did a great job in presenting the gospel. But listening to Bill Nye, the science guy, you know, I, I've always kind of enjoyed some of Bill Nye's stuff because, again, just his science experiments and the way that he explains stuff. But Bill Nye is definitely one who does not believe this word. And all through that debate, that was the thing that he was attacking. He was attacking the veracity, the validity, the truth of this word over and over and over again. The world continues to attack this book. And Peter here is writing to the church, wants to encourage them. No, they need to understand this is truth. This is the testimony of eyewitnesses. Look at what he says here in Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin this morning in verse 12. We've moved all the way on to verse 12. You ought to be excited by that, okay? He writes here, beginning in verse 12, he says, for this reason, what reason? Well, all that we've covered, and I'm not going to back up at all this morning, okay? If, if you don't know for what reason, you go back up uh, for yourselves later. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know, and you are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Do you realize three times in that little short paragraph, he talks about this reminder, reminder, reminder. Why? Because we forget, we forget, we forget. We, we, we become, again, persuaded by all the loud noise of the world rather than, again, being reminded of what the truth is. A little bit later in chapter 3 in verse 1 and 2, he declares, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. In other words, he wrote the first epistle, First Peter. He says, Now I'm writing to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder. Again, laying on them once again, all that he had written in the first letter, all that he has and what he's going to be writing in the second letter, that's what he wanted to remind them of. He wanted to be certain that they didn't forget the work and the word of God that had been presented and that what they had seen in their own lives. Even in the first century, just a short time after the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, shortly after the birth of the church, almost right away, detractors moved into the church. 
It's amazing how much corruption was already in the church, even as Peter is writing here. The corruption that moved into the sanctuary of the body of believers. False teachers were already causing shipwreck in the hearts and the lives of the faith of some believers. Not because they didn't know the truth, but because they had allowed either the cares and the concerns of the world to come and flood over what they knew to be true, or they just kept listening to that slick presentation of the deceivers. Peter simply reminding them, again, remain established in the truth. That word established, it has the thought of being strengthened, to be able to stand, to be able to stand firm. It comes from a Greek word, sterizo. Sterizo has the idea of to set fast, to fix in place, to steadfastly set, or to strengthen. And it's interesting that that's the very mission that Jesus gave the apostle Peter on the night that he was betrayed. If you'll remember that night and some of the conversation of that night, Peter was so bold, he was so brash, he was so proud of his faith. He said, Lord, though everybody else deny you, I will never deny you. And yet Jesus knew that that wasn't true. And so Jesus told him, Peter, as a matter of fact, before the cock crows three times, you are going to deny me. But then Jesus went on to encourage Peter. He says, but Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen, storizo, the same Greek word, strengthen, establish, set fast your brethren. And I believe that that's what Peter is doing here. He's fulfilling what God called him to do. Yes, I believe it was also for those immediate disciples because, again, their world was going to be upside down after the crucifixion of Christ. But I believe it also went even further in his writings to the church to, again, establish them, set them up, make their faith firm and strong. Peter had imagined himself steadfast and firm until a major trial hit his life. Maybe in your lives. Your faith had been strong, it had been complete, it had been solid in the Lord, and all of a sudden a major trial hits in your life. It could be the, the word of a doctor, it could be the word of an accountant, it could be the word of a lawyer, it could be the word of a lot of different things. Suddenly you got laid off on a job that you thought you were going to have for a long, long time. Where's your faith in the midst of that? Are you firmly established in the faith so that these outside circumstances don't shake you. Well, Peter, when that major trial hit his life, when he was in the courtroom of the, or the courtyard of the high priest, and that little milkmaid came up to him and says, wait a minute, you're one of his followers too, aren't you? And suddenly he denied the Lord, and then he denied him again, then he denied him a third time, and then he went out weeping. His world was rocked. Suddenly he realized, no, he wasn't steadfast and firm. His feet were made of clay. And beloved, one of the things that you and I need to understand in our lives, more often than not, our feet are made of clay. That's why we need to have the firm foundation of the truth of God's word, the truth and the reality of Christ in us, the very hope of glory, the preciousness of the promises that he will never fail, he will never leave, he will never forsake. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. 
About the time you start thinking, I'll never fail. Everybody else might fail, but I'll stand strong. The enemy will find your Achilles heel. He'll pull the rug out from underneath you. He'll shake and rattle your world like it's never been shaken and rattled before. Your foundation needs to be not in your strength, but in the strength and the hope and the truth of who God is, what his word declares, and the promise and the hope that's ours in him. Peter writes in verse 13 here in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, yes, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Just remembering those things that we've dealt with over the last few weeks in the earlier verses, again, those things ought to strengthen our Christian faith. The fact is there needs to be this continual need within our life to be diligent about our personal growth in the Lord. And that's what those earlier verses spoke about. You need to be growing. You need to be processing. You need to be progressing within your Christian life. It says also to be diligent to make your calling and your election sure to know that you know that you know that you're saved. Not because you signed a little card, you know, 20 years ago, but because of the reality of what God is doing within your life even right now. That's the assurance of our salvation, to know that God is working within our life. And beloved, this is serious stuff. This is stuff that's dealing with the here and now as well as the hereafter. For both of these things, Peter is speaking to us. And there is an urgency in the writings and in the words of Peter because he knew that his days were numbered. We read about that in verse 13 and 14 and 15 here. He's says, listen, yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, to strengthen you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And here he talks about this temporary dwelling place called the body. He uses the description, this tent or my tent. I've shared the, this carcass, this carcass that we carry around with us on a continual basis. We're going to shed this thing eventually. We're going to do away with it. That's the idea and the thought of what Peter is saying here on this tent. But there's another idea of a tent. Who wants to live in a tent forever? Amen? You know, some of you guys like going out camping and, and, and you like going and taking a tent and throwing it up and going camping out in the wild. I like going camping too, like to a Ramada Inn or to a Comfort Inn. You know, I, I'm willing to rough it. Uh, I'm not too big into tents anymore, okay? Why? Because they're temporary. And that's what Peter is saying, that this tent that I'm carrying. These are the words of a pilgrim. These are the words of someone who knows that this body of sin, this body of destruction, this body of death, this body of flesh is going to be done away with. It's got to be put off. It's not eternal. And I've got good news for all of us. That body that you're carrying around that ached so much this morning when you got up, that body that needs to be taken care of on a continual daily basis, we're not taking this thing with us. Okay, we're not taking this thing with us. It's going to be dissolved. It's going to be done away with. It's going to be a new body that we have in glory. Amen. 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 So all that money you spent on the knee replacements, the hip surgeries, uh, the dental stuff, the the cosmetic things, all that, all that money, it's to no avail. It's it's going to be gone pretty quick. 
Peter somehow knew that his time was pretty short, and we don't know for sure how he knew this. Rather, at this point in time, uh, the the reality of his execution had already been made known to him. He says that the Lord Jesus revealed these things to him. Uh, one of the things we do know that his time was short. Two years after he wrote Second Peter, he was executed. And again, he was executed by crucifixion. And as we shared earlier on in this study, uh, when they went to crucify him, he says, I'm not worthy to be executed in the same manner as my Lord was. And so they said, okay, that's fine. So they turned him upside down, crucified him upside down. But as he left the earth, he wanted to make certain that there was a reminder for the church, even after his death, and that's why it was so important for him to write this letter. And, and, and again, the importance of the words that are written here for us. Peter explained to them what they had followed. And he explained to them what he had written to them, that it was truth. And he tells the church there in verse 16, he says, we didn't follow cunningly deceived fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And you remember that story, the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus had been ministering to the people and he took with him then Peter, the writer here, James and John, and they went up on the mountaintop. Peter, James, and John, they got tired and they went to sleep and while they slept, the Lord then, again, the very glory of the Lord came upon that mountaintop. Jesus himself, and the very glory of his essence, the, 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 the Shekinah glory of God shining all around. They there met with Elijah and with Moses, and then the disciples woke up, saw all this happening. They thought, wow, this is awesome. And you remember it was Peter, our boy Peter, who didn't know what to say, so he said something, and quite often that gets a lot of us in trouble, okay? He says, Lord, this is great. This is marvelous. We ought to build three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And what happened? Suddenly a big cloud came on the scene and a voice from heaven came out and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And then all that was left standing was Jesus. That's what, that's what Peter is writing about here. He says, man, we were eyewitnesses of that very thing. Even the Apostle John, who was with him on that day, John writes in his epistle in 1 John, verse 1, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen it. We bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen, which we have heard, we declare to you, eyewitnesses of the glory of Christ. That's what Peter is saying. This isn't just some cunningly devised fable. This isn't something we've made up here. 
No, we were there, and that's what we're writing about. That's what we're declaring to you. So John and Peter both are saying, hey, you know what? We were there. We heard him. We saw him. We touched him with our own hands. And you can believe it or not, but we know, and this is the truth of God, because we saw him firsthand. You know what? From the very beginning, though, the word of God has been under attack by the enemies of God, by those that are hostile to the gospel message. Even from those who claim, unfortunately, who claim to be believers that are trying to dilute the word of God every chance that they get. And it absolutely amazes me when I read articles or I hear the teaching of someone that so dilutes the impact of the word of God. And why do they do it? Maybe it's because they don't fully understand it. I don't know. Maybe because they can't explain it completely. And unless they can put it into a form and a fashion that they can wrap their own minds around then it can't be true. But beloved, if you, in your mortal mind, can wrap your mind around all that is God, then you know what you've done? You've just created a God in your own image. You've created a much smaller God of the truth and the reality of who God is. There's going to be plenty of times that God is going to move and work or declare something even in his word that you and I aren't going to be able to comprehend. Why? Because he's God and you ain't, okay? Again, bad English, but good theology. Maybe they dilute it because they don't want to live up to it faithfully. You see, that's one of the difficulties of preaching the word without compromise is that the preacher has to hear it long before you do. And he gets nailed with it long before you do. And his toes get stepped on long before your toes get stepped on. But you see, many, unfortunately, are diluting the word. So many people claim that the Bible that you have in your hands this morning is filled with fairy tales, with stories, with wild imagination of religious zealots. And yet, how can they really and truly stand against all the proven history, the fact of firsthand witnesses, the stories that that have been corroborated even by hostile witnesses to speak that this word really is true? Satan has tried every way possible to discredit the word of God, or at the very best, to, to, to regulate it to some nice religious book. Put it on the shelves, in the library, under religion. It's just another religious book. But beloved, there is power and there is authority in this book that sets it so far away and so far apart from every other work of man. Problem is, you and I as believers, we need to know the facts. We need to understand and grow in the firmness of our foundation within the word of God. Let me ask you, does your faith stand on a firm foundation or on myths and legends and old wives' tales? You need to know that if you believe that the Bible is true and that it can be depended upon in every situation, then you yourself, you're standing on the most solid foundation that's available. 
When Peter declared in verse 16 that we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, you and I need to understand that the power and the authority and the validity of this book is unquestionable. Even in the first century, they were trying to discredit the word of God. They were trying to discredit the voice of prophecy. They were trying to discredit the message of the apostles. Down through the years, they've tried to burn it. They've tried to destroy it. They've tried to poke holes in it. And yet it still stands without any solid claims that they can hold against it. The attack continues strongly even today. And yet it still stands strong. I want to take a moment and I want to help you build this foundation of the truth of God's Word. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open Word. It's easy to overlook the smaller books of the New Testament, such as this short letter of 2 Peter. That's why it's so great to have a teaching like the one you heard today, where Pastor David was able to remind us of its importance and take us deeper into the meaning behind the words. If you want to keep studying through these audio messages, Pastor David is here to share with you how you can do that. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take the open word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. In his letter, the Apostle Peter spoke forcefully of the coming day of the Lord, where the earth will pass away and everything here will be gone. He gives us instruction on how we should live in light of this fact and encourages us to diligently pursue godliness. These teachings from so long ago are still practical lessons for living a godly life that we need to study and apply today. We hope you've been encouraged, but also challenged to go deeper in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David's message. Be sure to join us again to continue studying 2 Peter right here on The Open Word. It's more.